Section 10 of The Captain of the Pole Star and Other Tales by Arthur Conan Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Man from Archangel, Part 1. On the fourth day of March in the year 1867, being at that time in my five and twentieth year, I wrote down the following words in my notebook. The result of much mental perturbation and conflict. The solar system, amidst a countless number of other systems, as large as itself, rolls ever silently through space in the direction of the constellation of Hercules. The great spheres of which it is composed spin and spin through the eternal void ceaselessly and noiselessly. Of these the smallest and most insignificant is that conglomeration of solid and of liquid particles which we have named the earth it whirls onward now as it has done before my birth and will do after my death a revolving mystery coming none know whence and going none know whither upon the outer crust of this moving mass crawl many mites of whom i john mitvitty am one helpless and potent being dragged aimlessly through space. Yet such is the state of things amongst us that the little energy and glimmer of reason which I possess is entirely taken up with the labors which are necessary in order to procure certain metallic discs wherewith I may purchase the chemical elements necessary to build up my ever-wasting tissue and keep a roof over me to shelter me from the inclemency of the weather. I thus have no thought to expend upon the vital questions which surround me on every side. Yet, miserable entity as I am, I can still at times feel some degree of happiness, and am even, save the mark, puffed up occasionally with a sense of my own importance. These words, as I have said, I wrote down in my notebook, and they reflect accurately the thoughts which I found rooted down in my soul, ever-present and unaffected by the passing emotion of the hour. At last, however, came a time when my uncle, McVitty of Glencairn, died, the same who was at one time chairman of committees of the House of Commons. He divided his great wealth among his many nephews, and I found myself with sufficient to provide amply for my wants during the remainder of my life, and became at the same time owner of a bleak tract of land upon the coast of Caithness, which I think the old man must have bestowed upon me in derision, for it was sandy and valueless, and he had ever a grim sense of humor. Up to this time I had been an attorney in a midland town in England. Now I saw that I could put my thoughts into effect and leaving all petty and sordid aims, could elevate my mind by the study of the secrets of nature. My departure from my English home was somewhat accelerated by the fact that I had nearly slain a man in a quarrel, for my temper was fiery, and I was apt to forget my own strength when enraged. There was no legal action taken in the matter, but the papers yelped at me, and folk looked askance when I met them. It ended by my cursing them and their vile, smoke-polluted town, and hurrying to my northern possession, 
where I might at last find peace and an opportunity for solitary study and contemplation. I borrowed from my capital before I went, and so was able to take with me a choice collection of the most modern philosophical instruments and books, together with chemicals and such other things as I might need in my retirement. The land which I had inherited was a narrow strip, consisting mostly of sand, and extending for rather over two miles round the coast of Mansey Bay in Caithness. Upon this strip there had been a rambling grey stone building, when erected or wherefore, none could tell me, and this I had repaired, so that it made a dwelling quite good enough for one of my simple tastes. One room was my laboratory, another my sitting room, and in a third, just under the sloping roof, I slung the hammock in which I always slept. There were three other rooms, but I left them vacant, except one which was given over to the old crone who kept house for me. Save the Youngs and McLeeds, who were fisher folk living round at the other side of Fergus Ness, there was no other people for many miles in each direction. In front of the house was the Great Bay. Behind it were two long barren hills, capped by other loftier ones beyond. There was a glen between the hills, and when the wind was from the land, it used to sweep down this with a melancholy sow and whisper among the branches of the fir trees beneath my attic window. I dislike my fellow mortals. Justice compels me to add that they appear for the most part to dislike me. I hate their little crawling ways, their conventionalities, their deceits, their narrow rights and wrongs. They take offense at my brusque outspokenness, my disregard for their social laws, my impatience of all constraint. Among my books and my drugs, in my lonely den at Manzi, I could let the great drove of the human race pass onwards with their politics and inventions and tittle-tattle, and I remained behind stagnant and happy. Not stagnant either, for I was working in my own little groove and making progress. I have reason to believe that Dalton's atomic theory is founded upon error, and I know that mercury is not an element. During the day I was busy with my distillations and analysis. Often I forgot my meals, and when old Madge summoned me to my tea, I found my dinner lying untouched upon the table. That night I read Bacon, Descartes, Spinoza, Kant, all those who have pried into what is unknowable. They are all fruitless and empty, barren of result, but prodigal in polysyllables, reminding me of men who, while digging for gold, have turned up many worms, and then exhibit them exultingly as being what they sought. At times a restless spirit would come upon me, and I would walk thirty and forty miles without rest or breaking fast. On these occasions, when I used to stalk through the country villages, gaunt, unshaven, and disheveled, the mothers would rush into the road and drag their children indoors, and the rustics would swarm out of their pothouses to gaze at me. I believe that I was known far and wide as the Mad Lord of Mansey. It was rarely, however, that I made these raids into the country, for I usually took my exercise upon my own beach, where I soothed my spirit 
with strong black tobacco, and made the ocean my friend and my confidant. What companion is there like the great restless throbbing sea? What human mood is there which it does not match and sympathize with? There are none so gay, but that they may feel gayer when they listen to its merry turmoil, and see the long green surges racing in, with the glint of the sunbeams in their sparkling crests. But when the gray waves toss their heads in anger, and the wind screams above them, goading them on to madder and more tumultuous efforts, then the darkest-minded of men feels that there is a melancholy principle in nature, which is as gloomy as his own thoughts. When it was calm in the Bay of Manzi, the surface would be as clear and bright as a sheet of silver, broken only at one spot some little way from the shore, where a long black line projected out of the water, looking like the jagged back of some sleeping monster. This was the top of the dangerous ridge of rocks, known to fishermen as the Ragged Reef of Manzi. When the wind blew from the east, the waves would break upon it like thunder, and the spray would be tossed far over my house and up to the hills behind. The bay itself was a bold and noble one, but too much exposed to the northern and eastern gales, and too much dreaded for its reef to be much used by mariners. There was something of romance about this lonely spot. I have lain in my boat upon a calm day, and peering over the edge, I have seen far down the flickering, ghostly forms of great fish, fish, as it seemed to me, such as a naturalist never knew, and which my imagination transformed into the genii of that desolate bay. Once as I stood by the break of the waters, upon a quiet night, a great cry, as of a woman in hopeless grief, rose from the bosom of the deep, and swelled out upon the still air, now sinking and now rising, for a space of thirty seconds. This I heard with my own ears. In this strange spot, with the eternal hills behind me, and the eternal sea in front, I worked and brooded for more than two years, unpestered by my fellow men. By degrees I had trained my old servant into habits of silence, so that she now rarely opened her lips. Though I doubt not that when twice a year she visited her relations in Wick, her tongue during those few days made up for its enforced rest. I had come almost to forget that I was a member of the human family, and to live entirely with the dead whose books I pored over when a sudden incident occurred which threw all my thoughts into a new channel. Three rough days in June had been succeeded by one calm and peaceful one. There was not a breath of air that evening. The sun sank down in the west behind a line of purple clouds, and the smooth surface of the bay was gashed with scarlet.